side of the ball, maybe even on the entire team. We're willing to pony up and make a big splash trade for a left tackle. It's not off the table. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast live from Indianapolis. We are here at the NFL Combine. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We are also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined, as always, and once again in person, by producer JT. JT, how are you? I'm good. Uh, first day of prospect interviews uh, with a couple of GM and coach uh, interviews that they need to finish up, but we're done with coaches and GMs. And today was more focused on the players, uh, including D line and edge in the, like, like, like the beginning of our show here, we aren't without our technical difficulties these first couple of days, but we're working it out. Hopefully sure. fingers crossed. We're doing our best. We but- are. So today was a good day. Again, first time we got to speak with any of the prospects, we had defensive line and edge players today. All of those guys spoke at one time or another except for one, and he's one you're going to have heard of. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. I've got a topic here at the top that we'll get into in a moment. I think that Titans fans are a little bit more confident in one big thing this offseason that they maybe shouldn't be at this point in the year. We'll talk about that. We also have a handful of videos from the two new head coaches in the AFC South, D'Amico Ryans, with the Texans and Shane Steichen with the Colts both spoke today. We got to be there and listen to that, have some thoughts on what they had to say at the podium. We're going to have some Titans news go around the NFL, an off-season version of the Titans news segment. So we got a lot of NFL and Titans news alike to discuss. And then we've got a fun teaser video for some content we're shooting tomorrow that we'll show you at the end of the show before we preview day three, tomorrow's live stream, where we get even more uh, even more content to be made and e- even more things to see and do. That's the way that they've structured things here at the Combine. It ramps up each and every day. And as we get closer and closer to the weekend, where really the main event takes place with player evaluations on the field, the actual physical elements of the Underwear Olympics get underway, and we get to talk to some key players at some more key positions, like quarterbacks and receivers and tackles, the high-value draft picks. So we'll get into all of that. Again, if you are watching with us live, we appreciate that a ton. If you're listening in the future and it's Tuesday, I would say Thursday morning is when you're going to catch this episode recorded either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. If you're listening via podcast or the video version of the show on YouTube, we appreciate that as well. But just so you know, JT and I are here in Indianapolis all week for the combine. So we've got live coverage every single day in the afternoon or the evening. We're going through all of the tidbits that we gathered from the day, and it's an opportunity for us to chat with you guys. Any ideas that you have for us in terms of what you're wanting to see the the following day when we preview uh, the guys we're going to talk to, we'd love to hear thoughts on that, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on, on the guys we got to talk to today, and we have some videos to show you on that front as well. But, but all in all, JT... I, to, to let people behind the curtain a little bit, it's your first combine. It's my first combine. And we're learning as we go. It's a learning experience. It's super awesome. I will say that every person that I've talked to pretty much that is uh, veteran enough in the sports media game to have been to more than a, a handful of combines in their day, they have all told me 
yesterday and today that eventually you learn to hate this event. Um, and maybe that's just the crotchety old sports writers talking. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. Um, I guess if you're a social person, it's a more fun event. So if you're more the introverted writer type, maybe not for you. And if you're not a draft nerd, it's probably not for you for the full week. Probably. I mean, it's just, it's so many prospects every day. And like, especially for that first, like hour, hour, uh, first hour to three hours here. Um, I mean, you just, you're just go, go, go every 20 minutes. There's eight to 11 new prospects up on the board or on the uh, podium there. Right. And like, it, it just, it is a constant, uh, cycle of just change for interviews. So it's, it, yeah, I get, I get why a, a bunch of people might not want to stick around for four whole days of that. But then also, I mean, we get kind of some of the variety tomorrow as well. Um, when the drills and the weigh-ins and uh, physicals and all that like start happening. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So today is the last day that we don't have those drills and physical activities going on things that we'll be able to go over to Lucas oil stadium and watch, um, watch, watch the stuff that when you think about the combine, you're typically associating with the combine. So that begins tomorrow. Not sure in terms of, schedule for tomorrow's live show we'll keep you updated make sure that you're following us at easton freeze at jt underscore runky at the hot read pod and at broadway broadway yeah broadway underscore tn um for all the updates on the show for tomorrow and for the rest of the week but let's dive into today's topic and this first one isn't it's not combine related it's it's not exactly combine related but it's not combine unrelated it's let's call it combine adjacent and this is my take real real quick at the top here for the segment that we so lovingly call on the Hot Read Podcast, the warm-up. Today's warm-up take is this. What happens when offensive tackle at number 11 overall in this year's draft isn't offensive tackle anymore? This is the question that I've been turning over in my head for the last 12 to 18 hours. And it's something that really came to a, a, a head with me this morning in a conversation that I had at about nine o'clock sitting down in between sessions with players. I was speaking to Jim Wyatt, Titans beat writer. Uh, if you follow the Titans at all or the NFL, you probably know Jim. Great, great guy. Um, and I was, you know, I was sitting with him. We were, we were talking about the prospects, talking a little ball. I was trying to get the uh, the veteran, the pros pro to drop a little knowledge on me. I'm trying to learn, learn the ropes of the combine here. And, uh, you know, I feel equipped to talk about these prospects, but I've never talked to them in this format. So we're just trying to figure out, you've been here before, you've done this. How do you, how do you approach this? And so that was the gist of the conversation. But we got talking about the Titans draft in particular, how he and I, as, a, as Titans journalists, Titans writers, broadcasters, how we approach this, this strange situation where you've got all these guys, you, you have north of 300 people to talk to, and it's a very different sports press conference setup than what you're typically used to in a, in a given season. It, it's one that invites um, a lot of the same questions over and over and over, some dumb questions that aren't lazy as much as they are i think um people just grasping at straws trying to think of something to ask 
And it is uh, I, to their credit and to to all of our credit, it is it is a more difficult task coming up with questions for these guys because unless you know them all like the back of your hand if you're Daniel Jeremiah and this early in the offseason cycle you already are familiar with the entire draft class then cool you can go talk to these guys or if you're a big college football nut and you know them really well then then great but if you are a month or so into studying this class it's impossible to know much about guys that aren't in the top 50 or so you just know anecdotal stuff and you generally know their draft stock and maybe some tape, but you don't know a ton about them, their experience. So a lot of the questions about what was it like at your school with your team, um, all of that is is more difficult to, to come up with off the top of your head and be prepared for because these things come hot and heavy. It is 20 minutes with eight or nine guys at once. And then after those 20 minutes, it's immediately on to another batch of eight or nine and then another batch of eight or nine every 20 minutes for the entire morning. Yeah. It, and like some of those guys, like definitely it's hard because in each batch you have like one or two of the top 50 sprinkled in there, you know? So that's where like the meat of uh, the media is going to be. So yeah, it the, just kind of leaves bulk of the people. It right. kind of leaves you to like go around to these other guys and see if there's like, any kind of questions you can ask. And it, there is some value in that, but like not, not to, I guess what I'm trying to say is like some guys would like go around and ask like, Oh, you're this prospect, but you played against this better prospect. How right. was that? And I'm right. like, I, that's doing a disservice to them. You know, like no, it, it is. I would, I would rather not ask that question at all. Um, but it's it just, it's interesting because it's a totally different ball game than like a press conference with a head coach or some, or like a GM or something, because it's just like, um, there really isn't a bad question because these guys have to be there. And like, they're basically all the, like they, they all come from a different school, but like they all play the same game, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It, it is a weird situation, but let me, let me veer us back on track here because I was trying to get to the bottom of this take and then I took us off the road. <laughs> so I got off, I got on the exit ramp and getting right back on the on ramp because here's the take. In talking to Jim Wyatt, we were we were discussing just how much is uncertain this time of year. That's what I was getting at. And because of that uncertainty, when you are at the Combine, as media members trying to cover this as best we can, you're having to do some, some guesswork in terms of who would be most valuable or most relevant to talk to for whatever it is you're covering, for your media market, for your demographic. That's something that you you can make educated guesses on right if you know your team if, if you're covering the chiefs and you have patrick mahomes you're not going to worry about the quarterbacks nearly as much if you are the titans and you have a um you know if you have uh, the titans and you have plenty of uh, there's not a kind of a, a bad team to choose they they don't they don't have a position where they're totally locked down maybe safety a little bit or punter punter we'll say punter if you're the titans and uh, you're covering the Titans. The, the the punters are a group that you're not going to pay as much attention to. It, it is it is some guesswork going on though, because we just don't know what these teams value. First of all, each team values different positions, different players slightly differently, and each team is going to build their draft in a way that we don't really know the order of it until they get to draft night. You know, we can assume because the Titans, for example just to take one team, but it applies to all of them. If if they are in a situation like they currently are and they need a tackle desperately, the assumption is, and this is an assumption that everyone is making, it's an assumption that we've been making, it's something that 
is a fair thing to to guess. This is the educated guess. But the Titans, they, they're going to go with Paris Johnson Jr. or Peter Skronsky or um, uh, Dewan Jones or one of the, one of these top five tackles at the beginning of the draft at 11 because that's the position they need the most and tackle is a premium position in the draft. That's a fair assumption to make. However, in talking to Jim, we, we kind of both came to the realization that there's, there's a decent chance this Titans team, it's, I don't think it's a majority chance, but it's far less than zero. If they go out and they make a splash move in free agency for a tackle, and they're content with Nicholas Petit-Ferrer at right tackle, which I, I tend to lean towards. He had a rough back end of his rookie season, but I think that they're still going to be committed to him at right tackle, both because they have bigger fish to fry on the offensive line front, and also I think that they see a lot in him and they like him, so they're going to keep giving him a try. If they go make one splash tackle move, they're not going with tackle at 11. They're, they're, they're going to go somewhere else. If they now, if they sign just some random tackle off the streets, if if Kendall Lamb comes in here like he did last year and is is that caliber of lineman, a replacement-level guy, you know, you send a fifth-round pick, heaven forbid, to Carolina for a guy to play left tackle. I don't even – I can't even think of a fake name that could possibly fit in this very fake scenario. Um, <laughs> that That is the kind of guy that you are still going to go and get a, a top-flight tackle because they're not being expected to start. But it was reported yesterday, or at least tweeted about yesterday, 1.30 p.m. by our best friend in the world on this show, Jared Stillman, over at 102.5 The Game. He said that he is hearing there's interest from free agent tackle Mike McGlinchey in joining the Titans. This is uh, the the tackle who currently is on the roster. Well, actually, I don't know if he's a free agent. I'm assuming he is since he's talking about uh, free agency here. Um, but this is this is a guy that was on the 49ers for a couple of seasons and now is in free agency, I'm assuming. He is interested in joining the Titans, according to Stillman's sources. McGlinchey knows Rand Carthen, of course, the Titans' new GM from San Francisco, and could be an option at either tackle spot. He played left tackle in college at Notre Dame before playing right tackle in San Francisco. Stillman added he figures to have a robust market. So this is just one example of, I'm guessing, a number of examples we'll have in the coming weeks and maybe months where as free agency starts to kick up, as the, granted, very limited pool of tackle free agents or trades, mind you, trades are still a thing, the Titans could decide, hey, Outside of quarterback, we think left tackle is the most important position on the offensive side of the ball, maybe even on the entire team. We're willing to pony up and make a big splash trade for a left tackle. It's not off the table by any means. They could end up packaging that first overall pick to send to somebody and go full Eagles last season, send away your first round pick. Don't, why, why draft a wide receiver in the first round at 18 or 16 when you can trade for the Titans to get A.J. Brown instead? The Titans might take the same tack and decide we're going to send off our 11th pick. And instead of drafting a tackle there, we're not in love with all of these guys, the positional value there. Maybe we're in love with another guy to different position. Maybe they just like, maybe they, you know, not off the table. Maybe they love a quarterback or maybe they fall in love with one of these edge guys. One in particular that you really found fascinating today. thought he did great at the podium who is like, we, I think we talked about this yesterday. Didn't we? We mentioned he could be a, a, Titans target there just because his his style of ball it's a Titans style of, of play from him 
Yeah, and I think the whole point is that I think we need to start tempering expectations for fans on who they think, because I think, number one, I don't know if Paris Johnson Jr. is going to exactly be there. I think... I don't think def- he will. I think there's definitely a team in that top 10 who's going to maybe it might be a little bit of a reach. We'll have to see. We're going to we're going to see this week how he how he uh, measures up with his with his measurements and how they perform in in the drills. But Paris Johnson most likely will not be there. There's definitely a team, I think, in the top 10 that will probably reach on him or they just value him in that top 10. And then you have the question of Peter Skronsky. Is he? Is he a tackle? Is he going to be a guard? And that's a whole another can of worms. He sure thinks so. I sure think he isn't. Yeah, that's another can of worms that if they get drafted, that's going to be the talking point for the next six months. Yes, and Uh, but but the key to the take here, JT, and and not to put words in your mouth, but I think you agree. The key is not that people need to stop expecting the Titans to draft tackle. That's still the assumption. Yeah. That if we're playing the odds game, and it's all pieces of the pie here, folks. I'm not saying. It's a it's a minority of the the probability pie that the Titans go tackle at eleven. I'm just saying maybe it's more today, like 70 percent, and not the ninety five percent that people are talking about. But the but the key here, and you tell me if this is putting words in your mouth that you don't agree with, it's not tempering expectations. It's tempering them on March first today. Yeah. It's it's March first because in fourteen and, and days free agency hasn't even begun. The, the league year is not even up. We're not even into the new league year. Free agency has not legally begun, so so we can't possibly know with much certainty at all whether or not the Titans are going to want a tackle there. If they're going to be in a position to get a tackle there, we don't know. So I think that as we cover the the off season, the draft, free agency. This assumption that has become very hot and heavy early, and this is the crux of, of my take, this take that well, the Titans are going tackle in the draft at 11. So let's let's cover the team and let's um, hypothetically build out this roster for the next couple of weeks with that assumption in mind. I don't think that's necessarily fair. I don't, I don't think it is either. And I think if we've learned anything from this week from Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel is that no, one's that, safe. that no one is safe and that if there is a better player than the next best offensive tackle, I think they're going to go best player available over, over the offensive tackle and maybe try their hand in free agency. There are not there are three really good corners it's shaping up to look like that could go in the top 12 here in Joey Porter Jr., Christian Gonzalez, and Devin, Devin Witherspoon, they all can't go before 10. So you, then you kind of ask yourself, would we rather take one of these uh, stud corners here and go and test the free free agency market? And then who we're about to talk about pretty soon here <laughs> coming up, there's another guy who I think they could target just because I think his stock is rising up boards very quickly. And he, like we said yesterday, he fits the mold that the Titans want to base their team around very yeah, well. JT, real quick, do me a favor. Pull up PFF. Look at the PFF grade of the Titans' two tackles last season. I have the PFF grade here pulled up for Mike McGlinchey, by the way, who was this first rumored free agent tackle that is reportedly interested in joining the Titans. It's must-lie season. We don't know that to be a fact, but if this report from Jared Stillman and, I guess, Stillman's source is true... Sounds like he might be interested in joining Tennessee. He last season in 2022 had an overall grade of 71.5, just using PFF 
as one metric. Of course, it's not the be all end all. We don't treat PFF like the Bible on this show, but we do think it's a useful tool. Whereas the Titans two tackles, what were the grades they had? Well, Dennis Daly probably had the lowest of any tackle. I'll look him up here. I'll look him up. Um, oh, you had it? Yeah, it was, 46.1. Oh, 46.1. Um, and then uh, Nicholas Petit-Friere had a 52.3. Yeah, so Mike McGlinchey, is he the best tackle in the league? No. Is he for sure a left tackle? He played it in college. He didn't play it in so far in his NFL career. But it sounds like he'd be demonstrably better than anything the Titans had last year. And I would even wager to say he would for sure be better now than anybody you could draft in this draft class. The ceiling is is not as high as some of these guys, but you don't have that boom bust potential and you don't have that waiting period that you'd have to undergo with linemen. We talk about this on the show all the time. Linemen are among the, if not the slowest position in the entire league to develop. Typically year one, they stink. Yeah, and it's we we've talked about the classes that are like star studded, like super deep classes. That's not that's not this tackles class. No. Every every guy on here has a, a flaw in in their game, and a lot of them is that they still need time to develop here, and that's a very valid valid argument. In which why don't we just go get a guy who's already proven in the league versus having to now and that goes with the Titans plan of do we want to. Um, just ride with Tannehill and then figure out what we're doing next year. And we're just kind of taking this year to develop and get pieces around maybe drafting a quarterback next year. But if you're still going with Tannehill and you're kind of still think you can win the AFC South, I think getting better with veteran help at the free agency is better than through the draft. Yes, I agree. So that is the the take for today in the warm up. We'll move on. We talked to, as we mentioned at the top of the show, defensive linemen and edge players today got to talk to, I don't know, we have to pick and choose our spots again because it's nine guys at a time. I I think we got a chance to talk to or listen into the conversations with, I don't know, I feel like I got a dozen of them. You got more than I did because I was busy. Yeah, I I, I probably got around 15 to 17 guys. Yeah, so, and and we, again, we had targeted ahead of time who we were going to pay attention to. So a lot of the guys we missed were guys that will be depth players that, we honestly can't cover in any in any meaningful, substantive form and form or fashion this time of year, just because we don't know about them yet. They're going to be borderline draftable players, right? They're going to go day three, late day three. And then the other guys that we intentionally missed, for the most part, were guys at the very top of the draft, just because, again, the Titans may not be going tackle with 11 for sure, but odds are they probably will be going with a position other than defensive line and edge there. Um, so we, we we chose a couple of those top guys, but mostly I tried to keep the folks we were paying attention to in the consensus mock draft board, which is a, by the way, if you, I haven't shouted this out in a while on the show. If you're not familiar with the consensus draft board, it is, I think mockdraftable.com puts it together. And it is a number of the top mock drafts in the nation, the Dane Bruglers, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the Bucky Brooks, takes those, puts them together into a consensus board and finds where the consensus is on these guys ranking the draft class. So we were trying to focus on consensus guys in that 35 to 75, 85 range, those guys that would be second and third round picks. A lot of the day two guys, the Titans could absolutely look to reload on the defensive front. 
with one of those day two picks. And the first guy was one of, if not the only top five to 10 prospect in his position group. It was Luke Van Ness. And we, we, we teased this yesterday. I have some thoughts on Luke, but I'll, I'll give you the floor to give your thoughts first, because you were the one that was paying attention to his conference while I was listening elsewhere. And you came over to me immediately and said, that was the most impressive one that I've been to today. What was it about speaking to Luke that you found so impressive? He just, he, he commanded the floor, unlike a lot of the prospects today. And I get it. It's hard, but that's, I mean, that's how you're going to establish yourself away from other prospects. He, he is, he just stood out to me as a variable guy. Um, but all the guys from Iowa today, just not just Lucas Van Nett, shout out, uh, Jack Campbell, but, um, Lucas Van Ness was by far my favorite guy today. He commanded the floor. Every answer that he gave was a, a true team player. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go out there and give you all I have and do whatever's asked of me, kind of kind of thing. He he is kind of one of my favorite players to have on defense on your team because he's he is fits into whatever culture that you have, and he's gonna he's gonna totally buy it. Yeah, I, I I gathered that from the clips that I saw and from what I heard from others that saw it as well. Van S from a from a prospect standpoint, I think that he is the guy I have circled at least. Where again, if the Titans were to go with an edge player at eleven, he'd be high on their board. He is their kind of player. He's got really really high motor, known for his power rush. Um, let's see, last season he generated forty six pressures and nine sacks. For Iowa, what's interesting about him is, you know, he he's coming out of his sophomore se- season. He's only played two years, young guy, and at 6'5", 269, I believe he's twenty one years old, just under twenty two years old. But regardless, he's somebody that was behind other players at his position that were juniors and seniors or or fifth year seniors. And the way that this works, I heard, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah talking about this a couple of days ago. He didn't start this year, and that's that's not because he wasn't the best guy at his position. He was, for sure, without a doubt, maybe the best player on that entire Iowa team. In fact, I think he probably was the best player on yeah, that Iowa the, team. Yeah, and the best player on an Iowa team that was ranked second in the entire nation in total defense, too. Exactly, and so he's a stud on the stud side of the ball for a stud team in terms of defense. And he talked about that. Uh, today, someone asked him, hey, you didn't start this year. You had two guys ahead of you. And he just came back with a smile. And he's like, that's, senior, that's seniority over that, at that's, Iowa. Well, that's, that's how, the way that they that, do that's, it. That, that's the way we do it. I was just happy to get out there. And when I, when I get out there, I'm going to give it a mile. And I was like, that's the perfect answer to that. No, that's know? not to say he didn't get the vast majority of no. the playing time. He no, did. Yeah. But the guys out but there for the first snaps yeah. that he was rotating with, they they were they were seniors that were significantly worse than him and yeah. probably won't be getting drafted yeah. uh, ever. So that that's kind of the way it is, and it's interesting. But he he had a fantastic sophomore year. It's really the reason that he's coming out. I think seventy point one PFF grade as a rookie, eighty point two as a sophomore. He uh, again nine sacks, fifteen tackles, uh, almost five hundred snaps, a, a decent sample size, but. He's the kind of guy, and I've seen at least one person compare him. Their player comp was um, Justin Smith. It's it's a it's a guy that I think you could have some positional flexibility playing him inside or out. He'll mostly be probably a stand up outside guy, but he he is his height is really the thing that is the double edged sword. 
He is a long, long guy, uh, very tall, very long. So the, the reach on him from an edge player perspective on the outside is part of the reason that he's so elite. Unless your tackle has, you know, 34 and a half, 35 inch arms, he's probably not getting to a guy like 6'5", Luke Van Ness. And where he wins really is that, that he at 6'5", is still able to get low enough to out leverage his opponents. It's amazing. The little bit of tape that I've watched, I've not watched a ton of him, but I, he is on my short list of guys. I'm going to go watch more of his ability to somehow stay as balanced as he does at six foot five bend around the edge and get home is it's special. It's the kind of thing you look at and you just go, that guy's got it. It's a, it's an it thing. Yeah. And He's his explosiveness. I I've watched a little bit more tape than you, I think, but his explosiveness still still being that that tall and that big, uh, just kind of complements him and like his bull rush on the outside is just absolutely insane from what he did this year. And he wasn't playing like oh you're bad. I'm seeing right here how dominant he had a dominant bull rush. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even like he's playing bad competition. He's in the Big Ten. He was facing a, a lot of those guys like Dewan Jones. Hey, and I'll tell you what, that defense is on the field. A lot. a lot. So not a lot of scoring going on in any of those games. No, no. And, and I, not, while the Iowa defense is really, really good, sure. the Iowa offense and a bunch of those other uh, teams, not great. I, I've never heard reputable confirmation that it even exists. I don't know yeah. if there is an Iowa offense, but yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, I'd say experience. He got as much as he possibly could on that defense in two he also, years. He also comes with kind of a, a a little plus bonus, which is that he moved. From the interior to the edge, right, and that's um, where he projects season. as an NFL player. Yeah. Is on the edge. That's the reason why, really. But the fact that he had experience and sounds like the majority of his experience until just recently was as an interior player. Yeah. So yeah. he does have that versatility that a, a team like the Titans, if, if you're wondering whether or not they would value that kind of versatility, who, who on the Titans' defensive line has been the most invaluable player for them and the most unheralded player? for the Titans pass rush for the past two seasons, at least. Can we think of who? Uh, uh, this is how broken my brain is today. Yeah. And, and honestly, it, it's because we talked to 74 different people. Yeah. And so many names have been going through my head today. Yeah. I, my, my name machine is broken. Uh-huh. Talking about Danico Autry. Oh, obviously it's Danico Autry because we're talking about the a guy that can guy, play inside and outside. Didn't, we didn't even. Yeah, say. we named like, everyone of the pass rush. Mostly Danico because Autry. I was like, I, th- I thought you were talking about someone that was like the Titans brought in so many people on the defense this year. I'm like, are you talking about some guy they just brought off a practice squad <laughs> no, no, or something? No, no. So Danico, so Danico Autry is the perfect example yeah. of a guy that is doing exactly what best case you could see a Lucas Van Ness project to be able to do in the NFL. He has expertly and last season deservingly or deserving of a pro bowl and all pro votes, in my opinion, until he got hurt. He he was able to flex in and out from game to game and from snap to snap. And that's something that the Titans were happy to utilize him in that role. And it it works really effectively, especially in particular when a team like the Titans that loves to use and really has pioneered the, the increased usage of in the NFL these simulated pressures, that kind of guy is the ultimate weapon because you can have him line up at a position and then execute a different responsibility. And that's exactly where the Titans, if there was one bright spot this past year, it's, it's, it's Danico Autry 
on that team. Even he was, he was undoubtedly probably the star on that defense for most of the year last year. Exactly. So bringing in a guy like Lucas Van Ness to pair with him and Jeffrey Simmons would be super scary. Well, JT, to put a bow on this before we move on to the next prospect, I'll, I'll, I'll try to not go over two here on pitching, pitching you a question and answer. Yeah. What is the V word we talked about yesterday that perfectly describes Lucas Van Ness? Versatility. Versatility. Bingo. We're back to 500 on the, the pitching <laughs> catches there. He is, I mean, listen, we heard these Titans coaches, GMs, offensive coordinator yesterday talk extensively about we've got to get more versatile. We've got to get players that can play more positionless. And Lucas Van Ness is the perfect example of a guy that can do just that. So we'll move on, but not until we hear from Luke Van Ness. This was a clip from him, and he's talking about that transition that he made from the interior to the edge in college. Here's what he had to say. Initially, what did you learn from making that transition? Yeah, you know, everything happens a little bit faster outside. Um, you know, you also get a lot better vision, you know, standing out there, getting to, you know, check out what's going on with the backfield, the formations, um, you know, just getting a better understanding of what's going to happen to me. And uh, I think it was really beneficial just to learn that aspect of the game um, and, uh, you know, communicate with my teammates to help everyone as much as possible. Um, you know, as different they are, they are really similar in the same aspects. Um, but I was really able to utilize my toolbox and, uh, you know, excel in different parts of the game, you know, being outside. The next player that we got to hear from today that we wanted to highlight is BJ Ojolari out of Clemson, correct? Uh, LSU. LSU. Gotcha. Different, uh, different tiger, but a tiger nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. The LSU Tigers player BJ Ojolari is a guy that you spoke to as well, and you were impressed with BJ. What was it about his press conference that you found interesting? I think he also carried himself really well, and he. Um, talked a lot about how he wants to kind of mimic his game after a bunch of guys in the league, which I found super interest interesting. Um, he said in one of his, he just named a bunch of guys that I was like, well, here we have the clips. Yeah, I hope we go ahead and play it. Here, play here it. is BJ Ojolari before we dive into him as a prospect. Here was who he, this was who he emulates in, from watching players in the NFL. Correct. Yeah. Here's who in the NFL, BJ Ojolari tries to play like, or thinks his game is most similar to you might hear Titans fans. A familiar name. Parks, uh, you know, the thud, the freeze as well. So this, those are the little um, pass rushes that I watch uh, to help my game as well. So Ojolari, among others, Bud Dupree is, is a guy that, that he models himself after. And that's part of the reason why we were interested in uh, talking about him today. I don't think we came into the day thinking we'd talk a ton about him, but he is in that range on the consensus board. 38, I could see him going in the beginning of the second round. In reality, I would, uh, if I was placing a bet first or second round, I'd say it's more likely he goes to the end of the first round. But you could totally see him sneak far enough to the Titans' second pick, which would be what, like 40, 40 42, 43-ish area? Yeah, I think it's 43. There's 31 picks in the first round yeah. instead. So it'd be 42, yeah, actually. 42. Yeah. So that is a guy that you could see right there at, at 42. And um, he, he is a, a prospect that is, is another example, I think, of this theme that I think will probably end up being the theme of the offseason, the, the two themes of versatility and collaboration. Uh, he's a versatile player. He's a guy that that has has played a lot of ball. He's a junior at 6'3", 250. And if you recognize the name, of course, we've talked about this in the past, but in case you weren't aware, BJ Ojolari. His brother Aziz Ojolari, famous Titan or Titans, famous Giants player, 
and uh, they they play relatively similar styles. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not the biggest guy for an edge player as compared to Van Ness at 6'5", 270. His 6'3", 250 gives him a lower center of gravity, maybe more of a little more prototypical uh, body type for an edge player. But he, he has really refined technique for a, a prospect coming out. And his, his skill is pretty off the charts. As I look over my notes here, I mean, he, 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 he was the production guy at LSU. There was no lack of production from him in his last two seasons where he was getting most of his starts. He ended up racking up more than 100 pressures and tackles, not combined, individually. Over 100 pressures, over 100 tackles, and 17 sacks in his last two seasons. Very consistent player in college as well. This is a guy that, and maybe this is maybe this is room for a little bit of a knock. I don't know how much more room there is for him to develop to hit his ceiling. You, you see a guy like this in college as a freshman have a 73.5 PFF grade and then rounds out his college career at 73 and then 75.8. All right there, 73 to 75. Very consistent. He's been a stud for a long time and his usage increased. So I guess you could say he maintained the same, the same quality of play while increasing quantity. And that matters because in the NFL, they play more games than they play in college. So that that's an important one, but he is a guy that the double-edged sort of, he comes in a little bit more prepared than a lot of the prospects. He's a little bit more refined. But how close to that ceiling of refinement is he? How much more refining is there that can be done? That's the question these these GMs, scouts, coaches, they're going to have to to ask themselves in evaluating him. Yeah, and he's kind of a, not not the opposite of Lucas Van Ness, but he has more of that technique and shiftiness that you would want in the position, whereas Luke Van Ness is just going to be that bull rusher and just like just knock people over, and that's like his game. Now, B.J. Ojolari is just kind of a little bit different, and so – with the consistency and that kind of that kind of style of play, that's where he might knock down a few points. And if the Titans don't want to go edge in the first round, they could certainly find themselves looking at him in the second. Yeah, he, he could be a second-round pick for them. Another guy that could be a second-round pick for them is a guy who Tennessee fans are going to be very familiar with. And by Tennessee, I mean Tennessee Vols fans. This is the premier edge rusher out of – Josh Heupel's most recent edition of the Tennessee Volunteers. It's Byron Young. Got a chance to speak to him this morning. And by the way, very confusing that there are two Byron Youngs at at this combine in this class. They went to different schools, but Mm -hmm. they are spelled exactly the same. And it is frustrating whenever you're looking up anything about either of them. So far, I've looked up Byron Young probably five times today. And I was looking up both guys at different times. Every time I looked up one, I would just happen to get results on the other. You yeah. can't, if you're looking for one, you're going to be led to the other and confused. So if you, if you hear a lot of talk about Byron Young, maybe double the amount you'd expect this draft cycle, it's because there's two of them. Uh, this Byron Young is, I'd argue the better of the Byron Youngs. He, I agree with that. He, he's a guy that I got to speak with. And I was, I was really impressed with um, how he handled some of the questions regarding what it is he can bring to a team. That's another one of the generic questions that's kind of thrown out there on on Mm -hmm. a every single press conference basis here at the combine. But he was asked about what kind of things he can, he can show coaches. And a lot of the responses you get to that kind of question are, 
you know, I'm just going to show them that I care that I'm about the team first and, you know, I can, you know, I'm going to give it my all and I'm a hundred percent in and I'm, I'm hungry, generic traits based answers. He gave an answer that was a certified ball knower answer. This was a, I know that what matters is my technique and my ability technically. And, and he gave a handful of technical answers. So here's what Tennessee volunteer pass rusher edge Byron Young had to say about what he can show coaches this week, as well as uh, the second question. I don't think you can hear it in the audio, but the question was asked whether or not he'd met with the Titans yet. Those are the two questions. Here's what he had to say. Um, just, you know, my footwork, um, lateral movement, just things like that, my drills. I feel like they're really going to be, you know, keying in on my technique. So I definitely am um, prepared for that. Um, yes, sir. Uh, informal. Uh, and what was that conversation? It was great, you know, great vibe. I was just talking with the coaches and, you know, getting to know them, getting to know the playbook a little bit, but it was great. Sir? The Titan coach? I can't remember the name. Um, can't remember the name right now. So, couldn't quite remember the name of the Titans coach that he met with. Can you blame him? He's met with how many coaches this yeah. week? Every every team, multiple coaches and player personnel guys, mm -hmm. but... Or do you have have you done much study on Byron Young yet? Do you have any no, thoughts not, on, on not, Byron Young? No, not a lot of. Uh, I've kind of gone as we gone into the combine, started to go past those top seven or eight guys at the positions and start get, getting into it. But it, it's a lot of guys to go through in in right before the combine, so I'm sure I'm going to get to him. But he is another guy that I think um, is probably going around that to the third round second to third round uh spot there yeah sure. so I'm, I'm looking up on the consensus board here he is he actually could sneak into the third day on the consensus board he is at the 105th spot overall but the best ranking for him of the mocks that are put into this algorithm is 59th so you could see him go anywhere from mid day two to late day two to early day three he's the kind of guy that i think is going to be more of a scheme-based um, less on the versatile side, more which team thinks that they can utilize him best in their system. A couple other players to mention from today. And again, we're, we're not scraping the bottom of the barrel by any means, but we don't have nearly as much to talk about with these players as I think we will in coming days because we are still ramping up. We, we got not the lesser positions. We got um, smaller groups today, less players. We got, a, I mean, if you've seen the list for tomorrow, it's yeah. maybe double the guys yeah. coming to the podium we have the coaches and GMs out of the way. That's going to be all day long. And you get this cornerback class, which is both stacked, deep, and I'll tack on a third one. There's a million of them. Yeah. So, so um, but, but to wrap up today, two guys that I noticed, and if you had any, I, I didn't even run this by you. If you had any other than the three we've already talked about that you found interesting, I want to hear your thoughts. Nolan Smith out of Georgia, I believe. And the schools at this point, yes, Nolan Smith out of Georgia. They're getting mixed in my head, so i got to double-check. But Nolan Smith is a guy on the consensus board. He's definitely going in the, the first round. I don't have to look to know that. Um, he's an edge player that I, I just – I thought he was another vibes guy today at the podium. He had a really, really strong crowd. And the reviews from everyone that I saw online were solid, myself included. I walked away from that one kind of the same way that you walked away from your Lucas Van Ness presser saying – that was impressive. Big personality, dominated in front of the microphone, talking with a lot of intentionality and and fire, but he wasn't being fake about it. You know, he really came across as the kind of guy 
He's some um, not exactly like Dan Campbell because nobody's like Dan Campbell, but that kind of that kind of fiery, intentional, real realness from him is is something that I found really uh, impressive and compelling, and it's the kind of thing that will absolutely win over some coaches when when they meet. Yeah, for me, my player, uh, I kind of mentioned him a little bit, but Jack Campbell today. Um, I loved the Iowa guys today. They came out and just kind of you you knocked, knocked it out of the park. Corn-fed fellas. Yeah, of, I mean, of... corn-fed fellas who know ball. Yeah, sure. If, if anybody knew ball today. You walked over it, to it, me from it was, this Jack, it was Jack Campbell. You go, hey, Jack Campbell, I go from, my, from Iowa. You go, yeah, dude knows ball. Dude knows ball. <laughs> he, I mean, he's probably, if you're looking for, if you're going into this draft as a GM or a coach and you're looking for a linebacker who is really good in zone coverage, you're going to take Jack Campbell first off the board. He had a 91.7 PFF grade overall last season. He's insane in box coverage. Um, He just sees the field so well. He allowed only, uh, I think, 200, let me check my notes, 236 yards on 418 coverage snaps this season, which gave him a 92.9 coverage grade. Dude is insane, and we it, everybody's asking him questions about how he plays zone. And Sorry, he's just, like, just let's reiterate that a ninety-two point something cov- point nine coverage, coverage grade. Coverage. And grade. what position does he play? Uh, linebacker. Yeah, he's an edge player. Yeah, he's he's an on on ball linebacker. Yep. For for most for most of of his playing time, so and, and, that's ridiculous. And we would give we would ask him questions like, yeah, if you just like go into the playbook, man, and you see that you see what you see your reads, and you already go into the plays, and you know. Uh, offensive coordinators are trying to get trying to get shifty now, but I but I just read I just read my coverages and I know and I know I know what their schemes are and I'm just going to go out there and I, I know I know the game and I was like yeah this dude this dude gets it. The last guy that I'll mention is Will Anderson. This was the biggest press conference of the day. It probably would have been the second biggest, but one got canceled. We're going to yep. talk about that in a little bit. Will Anderson out of Alabama, of course, he's the either first, second, or third defender in this entire class depending on who you ask he was fantastic at the podium and uh, just a funny note this is really all i have to say he was asked who the toughest player he ever played in his college career was he said it was Bajan robinson running back out of texas who's a, a very polarizing draft prospect this cycle not because he himself is polarizing everyone agrees he's a stud it's polarizing, I guess, just where exactly you should draft a running back, whether or not the first round should ever be a spot for a running back. But that that philosophical conversation notwithstanding, we'll move on here. And we've got a couple other things to dive into before we leave you for the day and head out and get some, get some dinner and, and do some work in preparation for tomorrow. We did hear from the two new head coaches in the AFC South. D'Amico Ryans was first up today the new head coach with the Texans. Of course, he came over to Houston from San Francisco, where he went from Houston, might I add, played at Houston. He's a player, formerly now the GM of the team that he called home. And he was asked about Rand Carthen, I believe, by our buddy, Teron Davenport. He and Rand, of course, worked together in San Francisco. And here was the high praise that new Texans head coach D'Amico Ryan's had for new Titans GM Rand Carthon. With Rand Carthon, is, you know, we have a great relationship. Uh, our families are, are really close. Rand is a, is a great friend, a great mentor to me. Uh, I know Rand will be an awesome GM for the Titans. 
because first and foremost, he's a great, he's a great man. Rand is, he's very relatable, very personable. Everybody's Rand's best friend. <laughs> you know, he can connect with, with anyone, right? And he's always has a, a, a big smile on his face, but Rand knows talent. Rand knows how to evaluate talent and working with him. That is, uh, once again, Rand Carthon's collaborator um, reputation preceding yep. him. And it's, it is, I mean, without fail, whoever knows Rand Carthon and is asked about Rand Carthon says something along those exact lines about Rand Carthon. D'Amico Ryans went on to talk about the obvious question in the room at the top of the list for the Texans, quarterback. What, what's going on? Where are we in terms of evaluating this class of quarterbacks? Are they considering free agency? The Texans only have one quarterback currently on their roster. And they need at least two more to throw on there. So that's what he was asked about. And here is what D'Amico Ryans had to say on the quarterback front. I think when you're evaluating quarterbacks, quarterback, different quarterbacks can do a lot of different things. And I think the system is built around a quarterback as opposed to trying to fit a, fit a quarterback into a certain system. So it's all about the player that you have, not only a quarterback, but that's a receiver. Like, what does that guy do well? Linebackers, what do they do well? And you put guys in positions as coaches, you put guys in position to be successful. So it's not about a system per se. It's about just making sure that player has the right tools and you're putting them in a spot where he can thrive. That That is um, a very political answer. I mean, it's the answer you expect him to give, but it, it does sound like to me they are quietly confident in their quarterback evaluations. They have, I think, again, this is a vibes analysis. This is not this is not reporting. It sounds to me like they know what they're going to do at the at the quarterback position, whether that be draft or address it in free agency. Almost certainly it's going to be drafting a guy and who that guy is. They probably don't know just yet. They're probably still doing their due diligence and doing their homework on the guys. So that's kind of where they're at. And it sounds like D'Amico Ryans is not afraid. If, if anything, he's probably a little bit excited to begin developing a young guy and he's exactly the kind of coach you would want, even as a defensive guy, as a head coach, as a leader of men, developing young players. To me, the way that he came off to me, and I'm curious if you agree, he seems like the kind of guy that you would trust to develop a young roster and trust that young roster to immediately buy in with them. No, I agree. Um, I think someone asked him about that, just like coming to the combine and going back to kind of something with Rant. Like he, he was a player before being a defensive coordinator and now a head coach, he, he, he knows not just the coaching side of the ball, but he's been in these players shoes and he was a leader on that Houston Texans team when he, when he did play, which I think is why they made the hire. And I think it's such a perfect fit. And he was so enthusiastic to talk about, you know, kind of uh, locating those key guys in the later rounds that he can find value and sees potential in. So I totally agree with you on that. Uh, the other new head coach that we got to talk to and, and hear from was Shane Steichen, the former offensive coordinator for the Eagles, now newly installed as the head coach of our favorite ponies up north in the AFC South. The Colts head coach spoke about quarterbacks as well, naturally, because both of these teams in a very bad division, very high in the draft order, very much in the quarterback market. And this is the Colts, the team that has been retread city for, 
I don't know. It feels like as long as I'm alive at this point now, obviously not, but it's been a good, I mean, Andrew Luck left and it's been at least half, I better say it's been at least a half decade that they've been um, like in fantasy football, just streaming quarterbacks. Yep. And so it's time for that to end. And old crazy uncle Jim, we're in town with him. So I guess you got to whisper that because he could be listening. He could have all these apartments bugged. Um, he, he is letting the cat out of the bag. Clearly he's posting pictures, riding bears on, on Twitter. His relationship with the bears has always been very strong. According to him, whatever that means he's going to draft a quarterback. We know this. He's an unhinged owner. He's crazy. He's not very wise and he runs his mouth. And so it's nice for us because we can tell you with, (laughs) I'll, I'll say with confidence, they're drafting a quarterback. Yeah. The question is which one? And Shane Steichen's no dummy. He knows that that's the position he's probably being put in. He was asked about quarterback development and where the Colts are with their quarterback situation. And here's what he had to say on the QB front. Physical traits, yeah. I mean, obviously, you got to be able to be able to throw and cut it through the wind and all those things. But again, the accuracy is this one of the biggest things. Like I think when it's third and eight, you got to have it. Like you got to be able to stand in the pocket and deliver a strike with the guy coming down, you know, barreling down your chest. Uh, I think that says a lot about a guy's toughness. Um, I, I look for that on tape. Uh, obviously, the vetting process of it, but the physical traits. Obviously, guys come in different shapes and sizes. We've seen Hall of Famers that are six foot. We've seen Hall of Famers that are six five. Like again, it's that it factor, right? Because everyone's going to have some talent. You got to find so it. Six foot's not a deal breaker. No, I mean, no. I've, we, we've seen it done. Drew Brees is a great example. The height isn't the deal breaker. No, no, no. No one is. If anyone is saying that Bryce Young's height is the problem, they're wrong. And I don't think they should be listened to all that much. It's not that he's short. Now, like height matters. Don't get me wrong. For NFL quarterbacks, being able to see over the line is a significant advantage. There's a reason a lot of good quarterbacks are 6'2 and above. I mean, really, that's that body type. It's the outliers that are that are shorter than 6'2 for the most part, because I'm trying to think, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, the shorter elite quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers is 6'2, Patrick Mahomes is 6'2. That's kind of where all those guys are. And then the the yellow zone is six one or six foot. You get into the red if you got your height starting with a five. But we've seen guys do it and do it well. We've seen Kyler Murray be able to, to play at that height. We've seen Drew Brees be able to play at that height. We've seen Russell Wilson be able to play at that height. Um, Tua, I believe, is under six foot. He's shorter. He, if he is under six foot, he I'll add him to the list. If not, strike that from the record. The, the, the point here is you can't be short and a twig. You have to be built like, oh, I don't know, Russ and Drew and Kyler. You got to be a thicker guy. And that's not what Bryce Young is. He's going to show up here as Fat Bryce, and we'll see how much weight he managed to put on for really this event in particular. But it's not going to matter. His play weight is his play weight. I don't see this guy ever playing really at north of 200 pounds. I Yeah, I, I totally. It's going to go into their evaluation, but I think in that in that comment that Shane Steichen made, I think the more interesting part is, and he said this, it wasn't just in that clip. He said it three or four times throughout his interview that he, he values accuracy in a, in a quarterback above all else. And, and now he kind of, kind of took those words back in which someone asked him, well, can you teach a quarterback accuracy? And he said, yes. So it kind of, he kind of said that we're looking for an accurate passer, which I disagree with, by the way, we're, we're looking for an accurate passer 
However, we can teach any of these guys accuracy, so we really don't know who we're going with yet. Yeah, see, and that's clever. It's coach speak. In reality, and that's a debate for another time because we could spend an hour on that alone. Can you teach accuracy? I would strongly argue, no, you cannot. You can tweak accuracy by teaching better footwork and mechanics, but you can't, at the end of the day, accuracy is a timing thing. It's a mechanics thing. It's a physics thing. And it's a mental thing. And if those things aren't working in unison, you can't program a person that doesn't have it to have it. It's just not the way that it works. Yeah. Uh, with that, we will we will be done with our show and tell video portion of the of the show and get to our last two segments here and then get out of here. But we do have some news to get into that I'll throw to you, JT, in just one moment. First, if you are not subscribed to the show, I'm going to say right now is the time to do that. If you're listening via podcast. Go subscribe to the podcast. Who's, who's listening to podcasts that they're not subscribed to? That's weird. It's bad behavior. Subscribe to the podcast. And then scroll to the bottom of the feed. Leave us a five-star rating. And then leave a review in the box. You can type any review that you'd like. And we're happy, happy, happy to read it out on the air as long as it's five stars. So please give us that feedback. We also appreciate you guys tuning in live again every single day for the next five more of these that we're doing after today. Every single day, five more days through Sunday, we will be live here in Indianapolis covering everything that we saw, heard, did at the Combine. A lot more to, to come. Really, the, the interesting bits are still to come. So you'll want to make sure to follow us and tune in for those shows and then interact. Uh, we had a lot of interaction at the beginning of the show in the chat. Appreciate you guys helping us make sure we got the stream up and running. But if you have any questions, thoughts, comments along the way, please be sure to go over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Subscribe while you're there. And then leave comments in the chat watching live. We appreciate you very much. And tell a friend. It's helpful to the show's growth if you mention this to your friends and your family. All right. Let's get to some Titans and NFL news with producer JT. Yeah, let's start with the biggest story today, which is Jalen Carter. It was, it was reported earlier today that there is an arrest warrant that has been issued for the Georgia defensive tackle and potential number one pick, Jalen Carter, for reckless driving and racing. It stemmed from the January 15th crash that took the life of a teammate in Stafford. Now, we were talking about this earlier. That was kind of something that's kind of seemingly kind of not went under the rug, but we, we didn't really talk about it at the time. And it wasn't a big national news story like it now is because – I guess I'm assuming because we didn't know really the involvement of Jalen yeah. Carter at the time. And so this, this um, came from um, Ari Marov, Ari right? Marov and, um, amongst other people, but it came out most, most importantly at 10, 10, right? To this morning, he was scheduled J to J talk. Jalen Carter was scheduled to talk 10 at 10 30. Right? Yeah. 10, 20 um, minutes before you're supposed to go out. 20 minutes before you're supposed to go out. Great timing. And uh, I Suspect mean, timing. In the actually. Indiana convention center, it was kind of a buzz at that, it at that was point. Very much it, was, a buzz. it was an interesting energy in, in the convention center. Um, later to find out that Jalen Carter is just nowhere to be seen. He did well, not. Well, and not, when you, when you saw have, that yeah. court order come we, down, we knew, you we knew, knew it was going to come. Immediately. But oh, so he did he's not, not coming out. Yeah. He did not show up to his uh, availability. It doesn't seem like he's going to be doing anything here at the combine this week. Really interesting to he see. He is not, he is, he is headed. He released a statement mm -hmm. that he is headed back to Athens to address this. He says to clear his name and to get the charges dropped or dismissed. So, yeah. so that, that's his plan, but, but you, you, go ahead. It, it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how his draft stock is affected. And I mean, 
in, in how where we go from here. Yeah. About this. So so these are my thoughts. It's it's horrible, obviously. And the the reading that I've done on it seems pretty preliminary. It happened today. We don't yet know exactly what's going on or what happened. Clearly, the DA in Athens believes that the police department was misled by Carter at the time of the event. He is being accused of fleeing the scene. I, I, I guess when his teammate died, he, he's then this is I am asking this as a question. Am I understanding this right? He was he was fleeing the scene when his teammate died and, and we're just now learning that he was behind the wheel. Why, why are we just now learning about those things? How did we not know that before? The other question is, was he inebriated in any way? Was he intoxicated? Was he drunk driving? Was he incapacitated? Am I I incapacitated? Um, Or was more importantly, he incapacitated? Move on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is it porky pig who goes yeah. and then yeah. chooses another word yeah yeah yeah. uh was he drunk yeah. <laughs> was he drunk driving it sounds like something that that he could go to jail for if he if this is not not unfounded the the warrant put out for his arrest and it's something that not only could ruin his nfl career it could it could put him behind bars for a long time and ruin his life yeah i, I mean there's not a lot of information out right now. Of course we have the information of the crash and uh, his teammate was behind the wheel going somewhere uh, around a hundred miles an hour. They were speed Uh, racing, speed racing. uh, The blood alcohol content of his friend is around the 0.197, which is uh, 0.197. Yes. Are you sure? Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's what came out today, at least what I saw. Almost 0.2? Yeah, 0.197 right here. His almost, boy's blood alcohol almost, concentration was 0.197. And he was driving? Mm-hmm. How how is he standing? I, I don't know. How is he breathing? That 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 yeah, that's that's really bad if that if that's what happened. And and to I, I would say to his credit, but I don't this is yeah, I'll just read the statement. This is a statement from Georgia head coach Kirby Smart. He said the charges announced today are deeply concerning, especially as we are still struggling to cope with the devastating loss of two beloved members of our community. By the way, it was it was his teammate and a staffer, a trainer or, or a coach that died in that accident. So it was all within the team. Um, it went on the statement to say, we will continue to cooperate fully with the authorities while supporting these families and assessing what we can learn from this horrible tragedy that came from Kirby Smart about four or five hours ago. My response to that is, ain't no way he didn't know that. Ain't no, ain't no way he did not know. I just think that he and all of these coaches don't really have any shame when it comes to, to this kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I, it's another example of Georgia coaches maybe being a little bit misleading about their players. Titans fans know well and good the pain that can be instilled upon you when you are lied to about – a player from Georgia coaches, uh, the Isaiah Wilson situation a couple of years ago when the Titans staff, John Robinson and company were duped into thinking that Isaiah Wilson was a loves ball guy when he was definitively not a loves ball guy. I don't believe Kirby Smart. I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't know about this or at least know that it's a possibility. There were rumors. There was an investigation still ongoing. Don't say you didn't know when we know that you knew that don't lie to our faces. So that's, That's frustrating.
Moving on to some uh, two Titan-specific things we have in the news today. Um, it was reported that, let me pull it up here, uh, defensive line coach uh, Terrell Williams was named the team's assistant head coach per Mike Vrabel. Uh, Williams has been with the team as the D-line D coach since 2018, so he gets a little bit of a promotion there. So good for him. Yeah, my, my only comment or question on this is, is he going to start – rivaling stretch for Vrabel's favorite is he why he's the assistant head coach now that's kind of what stretch has done for years he's in one of those I don't even know what the official role for him is I don't know but but his role is just Vrabel's vibes guy <laughs> he runs the music yeah. at practice he does anything and everything needed and apparently is very very involved in serious big boy game planning and and the business of the sport so um I think that Stretch might need to watch out a little bit because Vrabel's got a new deputy in town. <laughs> Finally, the NFLPA today gave out their uh, team report cards. This I find fascinating. This is really fascinating to me. So it, it goes through a bunch of categories on how well the team takes care of their players and whatnot. So let's take a look at the Titans grade. So let's start with uh, treatment of fam families. They got a B, B minus grade, and that's ranked tied 16th out of 32 teams. I like how they rank they they rank on one right. one through 32 as well. I'll, I'll say this by the way just for clarification and correct me if I'm wrong. The, these report cards are based on anonymous player surveys that the NFLPA has gotten back. They're not just making this up. This is from the players within the union of the NFLPA talking about the teams that they've played for. So it, it's not unfounded by any means. I'd say that this is probably an accurate accurate reflection of what these team player circumstances look like. But I find at least one of these very interesting. Continue. So next we have food and food service and nutrition, a B minus as well. Mm. Uh, the weight room, a B, the uh, strength coaches, an A minus. Pause. Hard pause. Titans fans. So either the players are lying or they're telling the truth and you got to stop blaming the strength and conditioning coaches for the Titans injury luck. We'll see if those same guys stay around and if the injury luck turns for the better and suddenly this year's Titans team is among, I mean, I'm not even going to set a high bar. They're going to have to be Jacksonville from last they're gonna, year. They're going to be average. Just be, just be normal. Don't even be like, if they, if they could have a year where not even average, but if they could just not be the outlier and not be yeah. like the whole league, <laughs> Titans injuries yeah. that would be that would be enough for me to say okay maybe it's not the training staff maybe maybe it's just too real but then but then it years. gets really interesting with the rest of this list here right the, the, the Titans rated the training room itself a B minus sure and the training staff an A minus which Another is very interesting it, it's okay I guess training staff is not the issue for the injury concerns either Titans fans. And then locker room they gave a C, so I guess. That no I mean that checks out. And then the team travel is a F. I have I is that 32 out of 32? No, they're 28. Like, they're tied 28. 28. I need them to elaborate. What does that mean? I have never in in my life heard a Titans player complain about the travel accommodations. Maybe I'm not talking to the right people or asking the right questions. But as far as I'm aware, they fly private charter like the rest of the league. They stay in the appropriate hotels. They get charter buses to and from games. And then on the way back, when you win on Thursday Night Football, they, I guess, were serving a couple road sodas that you got 
somebody that will go unnamed in a little bit of trouble. So I, it sounds like, if anything, they're treating their guys a little too well when it comes to travel. How'd they get an F grade for travel? I have no idea. I'm gonna need, by the end of the week, I need you to figure that okay. out. Okay. I'll, I'll, you ask. I'll, I'll ask around here. Find all those former players that are hanging out yeah. here and ask them. Woo. All right. Is that it for our Titans news? That is it for the Titans news. All right. While I'm dropping things, I guess I'm uh, giving myself a cue here for us to wrap up. Briefly, I have a video to show you. This takes 10 seconds of your time, but it's a little thing we shot earlier today, just outside the South Gate at Lucas Oil Stadium. And it is a preview of what will be brought to you at some point tomorrow. We're going to film it tomorrow. It will be out, and it should be a little bit of fun. Here's the preview. All right, we're here at the NFL Fan Experience outside of Lucas Oil Stadium at the Combine in Indianapolis. Tomorrow morning, we, JT and I, are going to be allowed special media access in here. We're going to try out some of the different drills and routines that the prospects are being put through this week, get a, a more average person baseline. Should make for some interesting content, see just how well I perform here in the 40 yard dash. We've got a bench press, a high jump that a short guy like me is gonna be really funny to watch do. So make sure to check out our video on the average person going through the NFL combine fan experience tomorrow on the Hot Read Podcast. Yeah, so uh, we, we asked the NFL guys put i guess the nfl but the guys putting on the fan experience hey we saw that it opens at one each day could we show up beforehand since we're credentialed media and you know do a tour of the place try out the different stuff you know make a video on it and they said yeah sure so we, we've got an we've got an nfl rep that we'll meet tomorrow that's going to accompany us and help us uh help us with i guess operating the, yeah, the different the, the different, different drills things. Uh, figuring out what's going on, showing us around. We're going to do a video on that. Uh, I'm going to wear uh, some athletic-ish clothing, and I think you will as well. Yeah, we're tomorrow's going to some... be a little bit more casual day for us, for sure. Well, to we start, to, to yeah. start, and then we're going to we're going to get cleaned up and go go cover all the cornerbacks yeah. and start the actual drills coverage tomorrow evening. But that that won't be the show tomorrow, by the way. That will be a separate thing. We'll probably play some clips of it on the show because it'll be very funny. But keep a look out for that. And it, I think it'll be interesting as well as funny because there is a lot of really cool stuff in there. We, we went in there today. They were almost done setting stuff up. And from what I could tell, it's a really cool situation. So if you're yeah. near or within the Indianapolis area, you should come on through because it is free, I believe. And there's a lot of really cool stuff. It's right by the combine, uh, the, the, the field house, the giant Kroger that is Lucas oil stadium. <laughs> Um, so you get to see the giant Kroger up close and personal. We got to see it today for the first time. It sure is big and Kroger-y. Yeah, it looks it, like it, it I looks almost like, went in there looking for groceries. Sh so. Sure, yeah, it makes you hungry just looking at it. So that's what tomorrow will bring. What else is on tomorrow's schedule among the players that we have to talk to, JT? We're missing out in order to go to the NFL experience situation in the morning with, with the NFL rep that we got to meet us there. We're missing out on the on the punters and the place kickers and, and and the one long snapper. long snapper that was brought in for the combine. There's one long snapper here, um, and that guy's a king. And uh, dare I say, it's early. I've not seen him test. I think he's the best long snapper at the combine. He might be. Uh, no, I think that he is definitively. That's a hot take. I think he's got the rest okay. of the. I think he's got the field lap. So All right. we're gonna Let's miss see. out on those guys in the morning. If there's anything worth talking about, we'll hear about it later and still cover it. I promise. What we will be back in time to cover is all these cornerbacks and in the afternoon slot 
we've got quite a few of them. It's actually going to start with some safeties that we may or may not get back in time for. Jordan Battle, um, Antonio Johnson, J.L. Skinner third among some of the top names there that we'll get to speak with. Um, I'm just trying to scan to make sure. Uh, Jamie Robinson uh, out of Florida State is another big one, and Christopher Smith the second out of Georgia. Those are the big names that I see in the morning sessions. And then tomorrow at the 10 o'clock hour, we start. We start the. Uh, yeah, we, st- we, start, we, we, start, we start with I've all the guys. Joey Porter, it? There it is. Yeah, John it's Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez. So it's the, it's the, cor- it's the quarterback gauntlet right yeah. here. It's quarterback Palooza. We're busy from 11 to 12. Tomorrow. 11 to 12, all within one hour, we get to speak to Christian Gonzalez. Uh, Clark Phillips out of Utah, Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State. He's one I'm really interested in there at the beginning of the second round. He's the kind of guy, and there's a number of them. We'll talk about this at depth tomorrow. The number of guys in this draft that in a normal draft would be first-round graded cornerbacks, but will end up going into the second, maybe even the third. It's a lot of value to be had. A lot of value. So day two, day three cornerback, absolutely on the table for any team, Titans in particular. Some other guys we'll get to see. Um, Joey Porter Jr., I know you are big on him. We'll pay attention to him. If the Titans were to go away from offense with the first pick, you could always see. I mean, if you, we don't know Rand Carthen, right? If he's a best player available guy, Joey Porter Jr. could absolutely be the best player available there at 11. Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami is a guy we've talked about on this show a little bit with James Foster a couple weeks ago. I'm going to get to talk to him. I'm very excited about that one. I think that he's a really great player. Devon Witherspoon out of Illinois also could be there in the first round. Juju Brents out of Kansas State could be a third-round guy. Um, who else? Keely Ringo, my my crush of this of this cornerback group that I, I'm crushing on him purely because I don't think he's my favorite, but I think everybody's a little bit too down on him. Uh, we get to talk to him. Uh, Cam like Brown Cam and Cam Smith. Smith. Uh, uh, oh, who's the other guy from South Carolina as well? From SC, you have uh, Rush. Darius Rush. Darius yeah, Rush. Darius Rush we'll talk to I tomorrow. Was say Cooper Rush. <laughs> very different players, both elite, obviously. Uh, Tay Banks out of Maryland, another one I'm very interested to talk to, could be a early day two guy. So, yeah, there's a lot of them, more than we've even named, but that's the rundown of tomorrow's activities. And then, do you happen to know off the top of your head, tomorrow's afternoon evening combine activities are what? I believe it begins at two and goes to six. I'm not sure exactly what the, uh, what they're doing tomorrow though. If you wouldn't look that up, yeah. or if you wouldn't mind looking that up while I uh, get us out of here while JT's looking that up and don't leave just yet. Cause you're going to want to know we again, just to advertise the show are going to be live every single day while we're here in Indianapolis. We are loving every second and loving bringing you all of this coverage. Make sure that you're tuning in on Twitter, following us there on YouTube. We've got videos coming out starting today, really multiple on a daily basis. So make sure to keep an eye on that. We've got many, many more in-person interviews planned while we're here with, I think, some folks you're going to really want to hear from, some folks we've never had on the show, some folks that we've never met until this week. So we'll be doing that, probably get getting some on-the-scene interviews in the next day or two with some media members that that you probably know and love. We'll, we'll step aside in the convention center or on Radio, Radio Row and get to chat with them. A lot of exciting stuff coming up. So until then, we uh, we have an answer on that? Or we're just gonna yeah, leave, we're, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll leave them. We're going to leave them hanging because they can't find it, but we're going to find it. Uh, they, they may have just sent us an email about it. But probably. Tomorrow there are real combine activities going on. 
activity activities. So you'll want to check those out tomorrow evening, afternoon. Not sure if we'll get to those before the show. May end up covering those on, what is tomorrow, Thursday? Yeah, On Friday. Friday's show. But nonetheless, we'll talk about it all. Until then, until tomorrow, I've been your host, Easton Freeze, for producer JT. This has been the Hot Read Podcast, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Thank you.